Welcome to the Nitty Gritty today. I am really excited to do a little different introduction for you because today is a bucket list interview for me. If you've been paying attention or if you've heard me talk about the book, The Go-Giver, we have the author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg, with us. Something else that's a little bit different is Cam isn't with us today. He had an emergency come up where he had a friend with a restaurant who needed some help. So Cam is not with us, but I have my mom as my co-host today because if there's someone who likes The Go-Giver more than me, it's got to be her. Bob Berg is the author of The Go-Giver. He's written multiple books and there are I think there's actually four in The Go-Giver series. But now he spends most of his time speaking and teaching. He travels all over the country. He was recently inducted into the, like the Speaking Hall of Fame. And that's what he spends most of his time doing. But today, in this episode, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about The Go-Giver. And so if you haven't read the book, I highly encourage you, go and get it. In fact, we're going to be doing some fun giveaways this week because I bought a bunch of extra copies. It's a fast read. It's a fast listen. Go and check it out. But to give you a little bit of context, the book The Go-Giver is a parable about a man named Joe. And the whole thing is about his journey on learning what's called the five stratospheric laws of success. But it also talks about how he actually implements that law in his life. And so I want you to check it out. It's been very impactful in my life. And we hope that you enjoy it. We hope you've liked all of the episodes, obviously, of Nitty Gritty. And if you do, if you would like, follow, share, rate, you know, all that good stuff. It makes a big difference. We obviously like to hear about it. Every episode has show notes on nittygrittyshow.com. And so if you went to this episode page, you'd actually find a quick video that explains the five laws. It'll give you links to everything. With all that said, I hope you enjoy this episode with Bob Berg. Welcome everybody to the Nitty Gritty today. We have a very special guest, Mr. Bob Berg. And long list of accomplishments for you. Did you start as an author or did you start on the speaking training route? Because now a lot of what you're doing is you travel, you're doing, you know, sales presentations, trainings, coaching training, stuff like that. Am I right? Uh, mainly I, I do keynotes okay. at, at conventions and conferences and so forth. Um, and I'm actually doing less now than I have for a long time. I've been at this for 30 years now and I'm 61. And, um, you know, I, I never really loved the travel aspect. Yeah. You know, I love the speaking part and, and meeting people and, you know, have been blessed to be in some great places and so forth. But uh, I never really enjoyed the travel aspect yeah. of the business. But, you know, if they don't really come to you. You've got to go to them. When you speak, that's kind of part of the game, isn't it? Yeah. And so you do it. And, you know, you, you reframe it into being grateful that you don't have to take the bus or the train or whatever. And you get there pretty fast. And, you know, uh, other than a few real bad delays and some, you know, horror stories we all have that right. really, when you think about it, aren't that bad in retrospect. Um, you know, I, you do it. But as I get older, I'm just not willing to do as many things that I really don't want to do. Yeah. So I, I still love the speaking. And so I, I'm 
doing it no more than 20 times a year outside of Florida. Okay. Uh, my business partner, Kathy Tejanel, and I have events that we have in Orlando and in South Florida, and we're going to be doing more and more of those. Um, but, uh, yeah, so by and large, keynotes, I've done seminars through the years and, you know, a few full-day programs, but really not many over the years. So it, it's really more the speaking yeah. uh, and the... Uh, and the writing, and it said something that you've even done stuff with former presidents. No, well, with that, I've been on stage, it's on stage yeah, with them. I mean, it, but it's not like I consulted and was in their inner, you know, circle or anything. Got I, it. You know, uh, if I was in their cabinet, it would have been to help them, you know, pick out the right refrigerator. There, <laughs> you know, but uh, no, I, nothing like that. But okay. you know, I've just uh, when you're doing it long enough, you're on stage with everyone at some time. It seems. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. You cross paths with everyone yeah. at one point or another. Yeah. So before we jump into, I'd really like to know more about maybe you, like, where did you grow up? What was your child? Like, how did your kind of childhood kind of form you into what you've been able to do now? Well, on one hand, I was very, very lucky to be born to two great parents. And, um, so that, I mean, that it doesn't get much better yeah. than that. Um, two parents who were and still are, you know, best friends and they're married 60, I think three years, 62 or ah. 63 years or something like That's that. That's awesome. And, and uh, so that, that was a, I had a great example of what being a person was. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I also had, and I n didn't realize this till it was diagnosed at, at, I think, 26, I had and still have uh, OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, which is very misunderstood. You hear people say things, oh, I'm so OCD about something. They have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, um, It's a whole, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain that messes up your life big time. So I've had to basically struggle with that. That's been my big thing that I've had to... Uh, not overcome because you never overcome it. Yeah, but live learn a to life, manage a little man, bit. Managing, great way to say it. Managing it. Yeah. How did you? How did you kind of diagnose that? I mean, like like you said, a lot of people half-heartedly joke about being OCD about stuff. So how did you actually get to the point uh, where you diagnosed it? Well, I mean, growing up, I just you know I was very uh, you know I, I, extremely. D depressed, but it's more than that. I don't even like to say that because it's not. That's not part of it. There are reasons why that it would certain things, but I knew it was kind of that I was different from everyone else, and that there were certain things that were really just monstrous going on inside my head on a constant, consistent basis. Um, in this, like, I just thought I was nuts. In fact, one time, one psychiatrist I saw, okay, when I was about nineteen, he said to me when I told him what. Remember, this is a long time, but now OCD is well known. Yeah. Okay. I, people don't people who don't have it don't really understand it and, and that's okay I don't want anybody to understand it because I don't want anybody to have it and you have to have it to understand it yeah okay but there's a lot of that's for retreat there's the OC uh, foundation in Boston that does great work I mean it's now in the mainstream that's a better word yeah to, to say it's in the mainstream back then it wasn't remember I'm 61 when I grew up no one knew what that it's was true. okay you didn't so, talk about it even if you did know about right. it well sure yeah I just I again I thought I was nuts yeah and one in a psychiatrist I was in his office and I told him some of the things that were going on which are hard to me for me to even tell a psychiatrist and he said to me you're nuts <laughs> And I thought, you know, the psychiatrist a, yeah, said that. Yeah, it's like I felt like Rodney Dangerfield. You know, like, oh, my psychiatrist calls me nuts. Oh, no respect, you know. But, um, but yeah, and, and but he didn't know. And you know, God bless him. That wasn't the nicest thing he ever, you know, said. I, I hope, but you know, but uh, but you no, know, who knew? So finally, when I was 26, um, 
I got an appointment at McLean Hospital in in Boston, which was known as a uh, you know back in the day they called it a mental hospital, you know, but um, but they did great work with different things, and OCD was just just starting to be studied, and it just happened that the person I saw at McLean had a colleague there who was studying OCD, and so uh, he introduced me to him. He did a diagnosis, and it was indeed OCD, hmm. and so forth. Um, so uh, that's when I knew. And, it, you know, it's always great when you can put a name to it, you know, and you know you're not the only one and, and, and you know. You know you're not crazy? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how you know that. Because if you have OCD, you're probably not crazy because you know that what you're thinking is crazy. Okay? <laughs> yeah. If you, you didn't know. You recognize it. Right. Then you'd be crazy. Right. right. But, no, you know it. You know it's absolutely insane. It's ridiculous. It's, you know, um, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, and so uh, that's the other part of my growing up. So I had, you know, on one hand, great family. Yeah. You know, uh, on the other hand, a, a very tough thing to go through. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, at 61, I'm still trying my best to manage it. Not always, not always successfully. I still struggle with it. But, you know, I, I often say to people, you, you, you don't, uh, because people say, well, you're obsessive. I think that must help you be successful in some way. No, that's, you can have an obsessive personality in a certain way that you can that can help you become successful actually but with OCD no you are not successful because of OCD you're successful in spite of OCD yeah so when did you know that you were going to want to become an author and kind of go down that path of writing books I mean from that point on college you started your career what were you doing that kind of started to prep you for that yeah so um I I started out as a um as a radio broadcaster, a radio sportscaster, and that's it, something I'd wanted to do since I was a little kid, uh, being radio and TV. I actually, you know, I grew up in the Boston area, so I, I wanted to be third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, probably had a shot, other than the fact that I had absolutely no talent. <laughs> but that aside, I was just a small in a good factor. Track, you know? Just a small factor. Um, and so, um, you know, so the next best thing, you know, sportscaster, and and uh, I did that for a little bit. Then I, I got a job on a a small ABC network affiliate in um, the Midwest and I actually worked my way up to the late night news anchorship so I was the 10 o'clock news guy and I was probably the worst newscaster you've ever seen because I, I wasn't a journalist you know I mean I, I what did I know I was 24 years old I knew nothing about the news and at that time I didn't care you'd done and, it with you personality know, probably right. and yeah and so it was like you know my idea of a good newscast opening yeah you know, I was probably po too positive even for the you know for that that kind of um medium uh, you know I would have loved to have said good evening everyone I'm Bob Berg in the news tonight everything's great <laughs> go to sleep go to bed we'll let you know if something comes up and it was not long before I wasn't on television anymore and I graduated I like to say graduated into sales and the problem I had though was I knew nothing about sales um, I'd never had any training I didn't even know there was a such a thing as training you know sales I they the in the company I started with was we'll just say their their training was was um, Minimal. <laughs> and when I say minimal, I mean none. none. <laughs> and so, um, the, uh, so I floundered for the first few months until I was in a bookstore. And, um, and again, this is about 40 years ago now almost. And, and I uh, came across a couple of books. One was by Zig Ziglar and one was by Tom Hopkins. The two, you know, these were the yeah. two sales guys, yeah. you know, at the time. And, um, and I got those books. And I always love to say I, I didn't read them. I devoured them. 
And I just started, you know, and, and all my time when I wasn't at work, I was studying these books and I was highlighting and taking notes and I was practicing and I was rehearsing and I was there. And really within a few weeks, my sales began to go through the roof. It was, it was amazing. And it was encouraging to me because it said, if you have a methodology for doing something, a system, if you will, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right? right. And, you know, to this day, I personally define a system as the uh, process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles. Something uh, you can do again. Yeah. The key is predictability. Yeah. Uh, if it's yep. been proven that by doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, then you know that all you need to do is A and keep doing A and keep doing A, and eventually you'll get the desired result of B. Yep. And, uh so I really enjoyed that, and, and I started to really learn everything I could about sales. But the great thing was I started to realize that sales wasn't just about sales. It was about personal development. So I started reading all the books, the, you know, the, the How to Win Friends and Influence People and the Magic of Thinking Big and the, the Psycho-Cybernetics and, and the Think and Grow Rich and just, you know, all these gems. And I started building myself from the inside. I was getting an education. I was the worst student, too. I mean, I, you know, I went to, I barely graduated high school. In fact, you know, you talk about being insulted by people, right? Like the <laughs> psychiatrist, you know, my, my guidance counselor at graduation said, you know, said, Berg, I can't believe I'm actually seeing you here today. And <laughs> And, you know, and, and he was a nice guy. I mean, that's, the, you know, the, the funny thing. But, you know, I got into college on, on academic probation, which is no big deal. A lot of people do that, I guess. But I graduated on academic probation. I mean, I was really. So it was after I got into sales that my education really began. Exactly. And um, and so that was just, you know, such a wonderful thing. And eventually I worked my way over to sales manager of a company and, uh, you know, yeah, as I said, Seinfeld, yada, 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 here we are today. No. <laughs> yada, so I, yada, I, uh, yada. I started teaching others how to do what was working for me and, and uh, started first selling. This is how long ago. At first, I, I started by selling cassette tape programs for a, uh, you know, for those of you listening who are not my age, these were these things way back, you know, and... Uh, and um, what, what, yeah, I started doing that. Then I started, you know, selling myself my own system and so forth that I that things that had worked for me that I put together and then, you know, so forth. So what gave you kind of the confidence to do your own cassette training? I mean, you'd obviously found success in sales, but did you have something in you that always was I want to kind of give back and kind of tell people how I do it? Or what was it that made you want to start down that path? Because there's a lot of guys that start down sales and become really successful but they stay in that route because it gets comfortable and easy and they don't ever really veer outside of it. Uh, I liked the idea of speaking. Um, you know, it, it uh, gave me a chance to, I, I think I'm a teacher by nature. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I like systems and why I've enjoyed speaking because, you know, I'm, I'm not the fastest learner and that's an understatement, okay? I don't necessarily catch on to things quickly. When I once I have it, I have it. But I'm a I'm a slow learner, and so I think because of that, um, I have the empathy for others, understanding that they may not be learning as right. quickly. So I can kind of relate to people, and they can relate to me, and so that helps me be a good teacher. And I think when we're good at something, we have a we tend to have a joy for it. I think that's how we were created. Absolutely. We tend sure. to be good at what we enjoy and enjoy yeah. what we're good at, and. Um, and so, I, yeah, so I enjoy that. I enjoyed speaking, uh, enjoyed the idea that, that it was bringing value to people's lives and that I could touch people's lives in a way. And, and um, 
you know, and keep learning as I was doing it. I mean, it's fun because when you think about it, I'm always, you know, I have a, I have this. I always say my house is basically books with some scattered furniture, right? <laughs> so I mean, I love that. I'm, yeah. So I'm in a job that I love the whole aspect of it. You know, my yeah. my play is my work, and so. Um, yeah, and so I, I don't know if it was confidence because I certainly had lots of self doubts. Um, but so I was I was selling this other person's cassette tape program, and, and they taught me that they that what happened is I went to a, a seminar and I bought the person's tapes, and then at the back of it they said if you want to make some extra money speaking, we'll show you how to you know sell these tapes. And so I went down there, they showed me how, and and from what they said, I was like their leading sales distributor in the nation and it was only because i listened to what he's they taught me how to do it yeah so i'd speak everywhere for free at, you know at every civic club group organization anywhere that would have me i'd do my 20 to 30 minute thing mm -hmm. i'd do the commercial at the end and boom and i mean it was just um predictable <laughs> yeah uh but you know but i i also but i wanted to go out on my own and do my own thing and and so again not, um i just you know i just made the decision and i did it despite the doubts okay yeah that's awesome so one of my very favorite books I've ever, ever read of all time is you're the author of it, The Go-Giver. Oh. And <laughs> I, like you, I love to read, but I like to read something that has heart. And I feel like you found a way to make people want to be a human being. I really, really love the whole concept of The Go-Giver. Do you relate to anybody and like, do you feel like you're kind of one of those people? Yeah. You know, I think that when we, when we wrote this and, and by the way, I've got to give tons of kudos to my co-author, John David Mann, because right. he's really the storyteller. I mean, he's, he's the lead writer. You know, I, I'm a how-to guy. I'm step one, step two, step three. And when I got the idea for this, it was because I had a book out at the time called Endless Referrals. Um, and that had been that was a you know pretty a how to book. It taught you how to basically create relationships where people would know you, like you, trust you, want to do business with you, want to refer you to others. Right. And, but I'd always loved parables because I'd you know I'd, I'd been reading them for a long time, and they were always just such a great way of you know getting a message and exactly. so forth. So when I had the idea for the Go Giver, which really I wanted it to be sort of the philosophy behind endless referrals. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, how what is the the essence of a person who is able to develop these know, like, and trust relationships both quickly and sustainably? And the answer was, well, they're always giving. They're giving value. They're always looking to, for ways to provide value to others, make other people's lives better, happier, more fulfilled uh, through their product service or through their whatever it is they, they do. So, but writing a parable is a lot different from writing a, a how-to book. How-to book is easy. You know, you just write down what you know. Yeah. Um, step one, step two, step, step three, there you go. Exactly. A parable's a lot different. Even though there were, there's lots in the book that happened that we put into story form, it's still a work of, of fiction. And I can tell a story from stage when it's something that happened, but that's different from writing a story. Right. But I, at the time, was uh, that I had kind of come up with this idea and so I called it the go-giver because that was the basic, you know, the go-giver right. that they, they're always giving, you know, value. 
Um, but I, I knew I needed someone who could really write it in a way that, you know, that we could kind of collaborate and it would, it would be better than if I wrote it myself. And so I knew John David Mann because he was the editor-in-chief of a magazine I was writing for at the time. Okay. And he was, you know, brilliant in his editing. And uh, there was at the time, he wasn't very well known outside a specific niche. Now, you know, you go into a bookstore and there's lots of John's books there. Right. that are in, And um, he's, the, he's the author of choice for you know celebrities who can't who their agent knows can't write or the pu- publisher knows you know so John gets the and but back then very few people knew how brilliant he was fortunately I was one of the ones who did know exactly. how brilliant he was so I called John and it was the first time we'd ever spoken on the phone I called him uh, to tell had, him about had you guys idea. met before me we had never met okay we had never met and I uh, asked him, and when I say I asked him, I mean I pleaded with him to be the uh, co-author and lead writer of this this book. Well, he he was actually about to move to Hollywood at the time uh, with his fiance, now his, his wife Anna, and because he was going to be a screenwriter, and he's one of these guys, he could do that. He could knock out a show, and he you know, uh, and and but he he was intrigued enough by the idea that when he and Anna were visiting her mom uh, a few weeks later, they took a trip across state from where she was in Tampa to where I am in Jupiter, Florida, and we had about a four-hour dinner talking about the book and what it would be about and what we would want it to, you know, and uh, and he still wasn't sure. But over the next few weeks, he and Anna thought about it, and he called me one day, and he said, you know, I think we've got something here. And I remember being, you know, really cool about it, right? And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, we'll get together, and, you know. And I hung up the phone. Yes! You know, and Because uh, I knew this guy could work magic with it. But John always, to this day, he says, Berg ruined my Hollywood career, you know. Because after that, the book, you know, fortunately took off pretty fast and got big, and, and the publisher loved John, and, and you know, he started all, all of a sudden all this works funneled to him so he's you know uh he's busy as you know anyone heck i can hardly get in with john now you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> so that so that was um but you know but for, for you to say that Susie, you know ab- about the the book and about the story just you know means the world to me to know something like that that's a that's a compliment that uh just you know <laughs> never never gets old it's always something i treasure yeah that's awesome so you had the idea, did you, I mean, did you have the characters in your mind, what you wanted to do, or was that kind of John's genius that he brought the characters in? Uh, no, so we, what we did, and this goes back to, to Susie's question, which I, I rudely didn't answer, this other part of the question about anybody that we related to. Right. So, so first of all, the characters, some of them are a mix of people. Okay. Some are based kind of on people that we pictured what they looked like and some of their attributes and some of their and and some are just we made up uh, but joe is basically the every man or the every person everyone's been a joe or josephine at some Love time that, yeah. and we continue to be in different areas right. but joe was the guy who you know was a nice guy good guy well-meaning uh and he worked hard and he went after it but he was very focused on himself You know, it was all about Joe, and it was all about the sale, and it was all, and, you know, certainly I was there, and I I think most of us at one time or another have been, and it took, you know, some some people to kind of get into his head a little bit and be able to show him that there was a different way that was more congruent with his humanity that would also make him a lot more successful. So that, so we came up with characters that were, uh, 
like a Pindar was actually loosely based on Bob Proctor, who was a uh, uh, a speaker out of uh, Toronto who is uh, very much an abundance type okay. of you know teacher and speaker. And he has he's a you know he's he's tall with the the uh, shocking gray hair type of thing in the deep way, and that's how we pictured Pindar. Me yeah, too. you know. Yeah. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So they were sort of put together from different different people. Okay. How how long was that process for you guys to actually create the characters, create the stories, but then piece it all together? Because I would guess that you would have, we know we want this story and this story. How do we bridge the gap or how do we tie it together? Yeah. You know, and like, and like when did like the five laws really become yeah. cl- crystal clear? No, that, that, that's great. We, the first couple of them we, we knew from the beginning. Okay, the first couple of laws. And then John and I both like to say they kind of wrote themselves after that. Now, we, we, we knew the, the basic storyline and where we wanted it to go and what we wanted the people to be like and what, what messages we wanted Joe to get. But they sort of, um, you know, almost like the law, well, they, they began to write themselves because it would be, okay, so what did this person do and, and what was the essence of what they did and how would you describe it? Well, they, they influenced. Well, how did they do that? They did that by really placing the other person's interest first, moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, you know, and, and, uh, and so, that, you know, then it was, uh, and then authenticity, and then at the end, well, how do you really bring it together? And this is where John is such a genius, because, and he's done this with every book in the Go-Giver series, where he has found a way, because I got stuck on, you know, I think just about all of them, uh, to to kind of have that last law that seems, that on the surface goes against or runs contrary to the it's others, but really what it does is it's, it's, um, uh, it's, that, it's that thumb to the four fingers, you exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly. And uh, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the focus being on the giving, but then the end, you have to receive. You still yeah. have to breathe in. You know, yeah. you can breathe out all day long. That's great. But if you don't breathe in, you're going to suffocate. Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, giving value to everyone. You still have to allow yourself to receive in like measure or you're going to shut down the flow. You're not going to help anyone, including yourself. Yeah. I just have to say one thing. I don't mean to take over, but the whole idea of bringing value, bringing more value to somebody, you know, offering more value to people. I have to just, when Andrew reached out to you and asked if you would be willing to do this, and immediately you came right back and were willing to do this, I feel like you're a perfect example of living what you write. Um, And I appreciate that about you, and I think that's why I have connected so much with this book. We have given thousands of these books Mm. to people because they speak to people but as you talk about influence there's so many people in the world trying to be an influencer and if they if they're not true to being offering value or to being a human being or to do it not you know to take the value off of your or the focus off of yourself that makes a big difference with people so i appreciate and respect you that that's the type of a person that's what you write about and that's obviously how you live wow (laughs) thank you yeah it's been fun so much we've had in fact one of our guests i gave him a book probably four or five years ago he's a ceo of a pretty big company and he talked about how the principles in the book, the five laws, literally has reshaped their whole company culture. Wow. And, you know, talks a lot about the first question is not can it make money? That's not a bad question. It's that right. first question, it's right? First question, exactly. Um, 
Man, I could ask so many questions. One thing I was curious, as we were driving up here, I was listening to it again. I, I, I read the book at least two or three times a year. Um, but we were listening to it again, and a question came to my mind. I was curious, which of the five laws do you feel like is maybe, I don't know how to ask it, maybe overlooked or like least understood? Oh, least understood. I don't know if it's the least overlooked, but the least understood, or at least I don't know if it's overlooked, but the least understood is the law of value itself. Okay. Because I think a lot of people think that when we say give more in value than you take in payment, that that somehow means you're not supposed to make a profit or something, or, or that you're supposed to give things away for free. Yeah. Uh, there's a time and place for everything, but but that's not what it means at all. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think about what, what does it mean, what what's the basic premise of the go-giver? It's that shifting your focus from getting to giving, when we say giving, of course, we mean constantly and consistently providing value to others. And understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way of, of conducting business, it's the most financially profitable way as well. Um, meaning it also is very profitable. So it can't mean giving your just giving yourself away. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so if you, so the, the law of value is, is your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. What? Yeah. What? Uh, isn't that a recipe for bankruptcy? <laughs> and of course it would be if, if um, uh, unless you understand the difference between price and value. Yeah. And that's the key. Price is a dollar figure. It's it's finite. It, uh, it just simply is what it is. It's a dollar amount. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, what have you, that brings so much worth or value to someone that they will willingly exchange their, in this case, their money for this and feel great about it while you make a very healthy profit. And I often cite the example of an accountant who you who uh, you hire to do your taxes. He uh, charges you $1,000, okay, that's his, his fee, literally his price, $1,000. But what value does he give you in exchange? Well, first, he um, saves you $5,000 right. on your taxes. <laughs> uh, right? Uh, he, he saves you countless hours uh, of time, and he provides you and your family with the security and the peace of mind of knowing it was done correctly. Yeah. Okay, so what IRS he's done. doesn't come knocking on your door, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's worth more than anything. In fact, what we see here actually from that example is that while price is finite, value can be both concrete in terms of that that uh, uh, $5,000. We can get our arms around that very easily. It's yeah. concrete. But it can also be conceptual. And it can be everlasting. Absolutely, in terms of that peace of mind and the, yep. uh, and so sure. forth. And and so what this accountant did is gave you well over $5,000 in value in exchange for a $1,000 price or gave you more in value than he took in payment. Um, so you obviously feel great about it, but he also made a very healthy profit because to him it was worth it to lease out his time and expertise for $1,000, yep. okay? So in fact, in a free market-based exchange, and when I say free market, I simply mean no one is forced to do business with anyone else. They do it by their own volition, which is the best way to, uh, for business to take place. There are always two profits, the buyer profits and the seller profits, because each come away better off after the transaction than they were before the transaction. Now, the accountant, though, 
I can guarantee you did not get this account of yours because when you know you were interviewing him to see if he should have your business if he should be your accountant he was not focused on the fee he was not focused on grabbing your money he was focused on how he could make your life better he was focused on how he could provide value to you so he asked you questions so that he would understand what it is you're looking to accomplish what you need what you want what you do which is what selling is yeah okay it's focusing on that other person it's discovering what the other person needs wants and desires and helping them to get it but take that uh, the take this one more step what we talk about with the the law of value and the accountant and the 5000 and what and so forth that's just the intrinsic value but any accountant is supposed to do that so how do you separate yourself and this is where the law of value really shines um, because if you know if uh, if uh, you know these days technology is basically leveled off the playing field I mean most products and services work they're pretty similar they're pretty much the same and it's they're almost, good it's commoditized it's, commo- everything. it's commoditized so if a prospective customer or client doesn't know the difference between any one or more accountants or you know or dentists or or realtors or insurance professionals or financial advisors or graphic design if they don't know the difference if they cannot distinguish between any two or more of them it'll always come down to who has the lowest price yep okay and unless your last name is uh walmart or (laughs) amazon.com maybe trying to make low price your unique selling proposition your value proposition right yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's it, it what happens is if you sell on price you're a commodity. Yep. If you sell on value, you're a resource. Yep. So the question is, well, how do you separate yourself? How do you distinguish yourself? And this is where, and by the way, the good news is there are dozens, if not hundreds of ways to do this, but they tend to come down to five what we call elements of value. And those elements of value are excellence, consistency, attention, empathy, and appreciation. And to the degree that you are able to communicate one or more, hopefully all five of those elements, at every single touch point, from the minute you meet that person, whether it's outbound, whether it's inbound, whether it's at a local charity event, to the to building the relationship, through the selling process, through the follow-up and follow-through, through the referrals, to the degree you're able to communicate those elements of value, that's the degree you take both the competition and price out of the equation. So the law of value, which as you can tell is kind of a whole seminar behind that, <laughs> that you know, that can be easily overlooked when someone reads something called, oh, the go-giver, and you know, the law of value, and oh, are they just saying, give it away? No, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, what you just said applies to, no matter what you're involved with, whether you're a realtor or Absolutely whatever you true. are, those five principles, that, that applies to every single thing you offer. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. I was at a retreat and they there's a quote that it's better to be different than be good or, or something like that. So it's like you distinguish yourself not by being better Yeah. because to your point, everyone expects an accountant to mm-hmm. do right, the same tax work, sure. you know? So the, the way you differentiate yourself is by being different, which is by providing this experience and pro- by providing exactly. that value. Exactly. And Scott McCain, a colleague of mine who has some great books out, uh, he says, even better than being different, is he says, is be distinct. He says, because you think of it, you could stand on the sidewalk going, blah, 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 right? You're different. Yeah. (laughs) But that may not want make someone want to do business with you. We could spend a lot of time on each of the laws. I remember the first time I read it, probably the law that impacted me the most was the story uh, with with Sam. And when he talks about how 50-50 is a losing proposition. Right. Right. And 
I, I mean, just the story with his wife and it was something that impacted me with my wife because I think it's really easy for us to keep score with people. Mm-hmm. You know, even how he's keeping score with, oh, you owe me one. Like Joe says that in the book, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, when you're thinking of those types of things, how hard is it? To, I mean, because it's part of this story that you're trying to create this parable, but like, when did you know like that certain things were going to be like really powerful? Like, did you know as you were writing them, like, okay, this was... Well, this is okay. So, very so that impactful. that story in in the book that you're talking about is is um, that was something actually based on a conversation I had with my dad when I was about ten years old. Okay. And what happened is um, uh, Joe asked Pindar, "How is it you and your wife have been married for fifty? Have been so happy for fifty years?" And yeah. Pindar said um, something like, uh, "Because I care about her happiness more than my own." Right. And Joe said, "But wouldn't some people uh, call that codependent?" Yeah. And Pinder said, some would. You know what I call it? And Joe said, happy? And he said, yeah. But we had to put the codependent part in there because these days, uh, you know, if, if someone can misinterpret something, sometimes they, they will. And right. so, so here's really the Might story. Might well address it. Yeah. So yeah. when I was, when I was, because we wanted people to know, we're not talking about a codependent upon really that you, you know. Uh, so anyway, when I was about 10 years old, I uh, asked my dad. And at, at the time, some of my friend's uh, parents were getting divorced. And my folks were known as, you know, having just such a, a great marriage. And I said to Dad, how is it that you and Mom have such a great marriage? And, you know, and Dad said, well, you know, Bob, when you really, really love someone, you actually care more about their happiness than you do your, your own. And again, for the record, he wasn't talking about a codependent relationship where, you know, there's abuse right. or someone's, you know, no. He was saying when two people really love each other, or as my folks used to explain, when they really like each other. Okay, they both what they basically do is they identify with each other's happiness. Okay, so because of that, it's not 50 50. It's 100. Yeah. Both people, though, are giving 100. And when both people are giving 100, magic happens. Right. And so that's what Pindar was telling Joe in the story. And we put that in because even though it's a business book and portfolio, Penguin Random House uh, portfolio is a business arm. So obviously it was a business book. Yeah. But. Um, we wanted to put put that in there as sort of a subplot um, because we wanted people to kind of see that, you know, it, it's more than just business, that these principles, like any universal laws or principles, apply across the board. Um, it's true. A true principle is true sure. in all aspects. So I mean, he talks about that in the book. Um, right. I think another law that I think gets overlooked and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe it was me that overlooked it, and that's why I'm like projecting that on out on other people. But the law of receptivity, like being open to receive, mm-hmm. because it says in there, you know, when Pinder asked Joe, when you think of receiving, what's the first phrase that comes to mind? And it's it's better to give than it is to receive, right? And then in the book, he says it's actually it's insane, it, right, to try and give, to try and give and not receive. <laughs> But I think it's so hard for people to be willing to receive. Everyone is always looking for ways they can help, mm-hmm. but then they always resist people trying to help them. Yeah. And so I feel like that's, at least maybe for me, I feel like that's probably one of the laws that is maybe harder to understand or implement. Harder to uh, implement, yeah. Because, uh, and, and John and I have both received so many emails from people who have said, you know, that chapter finally told me it was not only okay, but it was right for me to receive. And, you know, we, of course, love hearing that, but we feel bad that it, you know, that it has to even be that way, that um, society has kind of trained everyone as such that, 
you know, if you're receiving, you must be doing something bad. Yeah, right? it's, that wealth is evil yeah. and money is bad. And, you know, you think about it, because remember that the, that the story in that chapter was where Pindar asked Joe to breathe out, and, uh-huh. and after he finished breathing out, hold that to the count of t- uh, 30 and of course Joe okay. Joe couldn't and that's where Pindar said well what if I told you it's actually been proven it's healthier to breathe out than it is to breathe in and Joe said that's silly you can't you got to do both but you know and, and so we breathe out we breathe in we breathe out carbon dioxide we breathe in oxygen we breathe out which is giving we breathe in which is receiving now contrary to popular belief as, as I like to say giving and receiving are not opposite concepts they're simply two sides of the very same coin But you never know that when you think about the messages we receive from society around us because, you know, we do not get mixed messages about money and prosperity from the world around us. We get negative messages. Absolutely. Everywhere you see, it's the, you know, the rich people are bad and, you know, this, the, you know, if you if you're wealthy, you did it on the backs of others. Yep. And, and, and hey, it's a big world and there are lots of people who do bad things and hey, they, you know, that 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 is true, but you know, they, first of all, there's a, there's a few things about that. One, in a free market-based economy, and again, free market meaning no one is forced to buy from anyone else, but it also means no one has special advantages over anyone else. And so we don't live in a totally free market economy. Uh, there's a lot of what's called cronyism, <laughs> yeah. where big business and other special interests get together and through their lobbyists on K Street, they buy special favors from politicians. That's not capitalism. And unfortunately, that's what so many people think capitalism is, but it's not, it's cronyism. And people even sometimes call it crony capitalism, which bugs the heck out of me because it almost gives legitimacy to it. Yeah. And I would say crony capitalism is to capitalism what Chinese checkers is to checkers. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Just, you know. And so, but free market capitalism, you can't make money unless you are providing value to other people who choose to buy from you. Because, you know, and I often say this when I speak at a sales conference, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. No, exactly. They're not gonna buy from you because you need the money or you have projections of what you should sell. And they're not even gonna buy from you just because you're a nice person. They're gonna buy from you because they believe they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And this means that in a truly free market economy, it's up to the salesperson or the business to prove to that customer the value that have. the value right is yeah. going to be much more than what they're paying for that's yeah. also why we say that money is simply an echo of value it's just an exchange it absolutely that's all it is it's absolutely. just an exchange and so in a, a free market based economy you can only um, you can only get wealthy uh, following the five laws really whether you know whether or not you're doing it. you know again the five laws are not something john and i made up that all right. of a sudden these are principles that have been around since there have been economy you know yeah. market economies since the bazaars in ancient babylonia in the yeah. time where where uh uh james classen you know wrote uh, the richest <laughs> man in babylon right that remember classen right, hill that. the company joe worked for yeah it was named after classen who wrote you know the uh oh, richest man in babylon napoleon hill together yeah uh yeah, and so there's actually throughout the Go Giver series, the names of some of the different companies okay. all have stories. Oh, you know, that's kind cool. Of days that is cool. But but anyway, so that's oh, so so we're taught all these horrible stories about money and about abundance, 
Uh, a friend of mine, Randy Gage, is probably at this point the about the leading uh, teacher right now on abundance mindset. I mean, this guy's all over the place, and and uh, but he did this great vignette about movies where you know if you go to a movie if you watch a blockbuster movie there are typically two types of characters and you'll notice this from now on every time there are the good people who are always portrayed as being the underdog Mm -hmm. they're poor but they're happy they're always poor but happy but they're always being stepped on stepped over pushed down pushed around taken advantage of by who the rich, the, rich, rich. the evil rich people who are mean and nasty and cowardly and have no soul, and you can <laughs> you can go through all these different movies, and then there's you know you get one example or just one of the the many things you'll see is for example in the first Spider-Man movie when when Peter Parker is sitting with his his Uncle Ben and Uncle Ben says, well, Peter, we may, may not be rich, but at least we're honest. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> What a horrible! You know, what message like, did you just yeah, give what to, mes- everyone, yeah, to, to every everyone, every little kid, kid ah, watching right. that? That's, that's, yeah, and you know, you you hear that you're you're pre-programmed with all of Absolutely. these things that you so hear. Can, I'm not happy. Oh, I'm honest. Oh, that means I can't be bored. Ah, so you think about it that in in these messages come in at an unconscious level. Yeah, you're not thinking about this. You're not deciphering it. You're not checking premises and asking why does that person think well, that? They're Where programmed they when you're such How a they... young age too. Right. So now you grow up. And you start providing immense value to the marketplace, right? And so money starts coming to you, and all, all of a sudden, sudden you do things that evil. sabotage that. Why? Because unconsciously you're thinking, wait a second, I'm about to make a lot of money. And if I make money, I must have done something evil. And I'm a good person. And this is all unconscious. And that's why I suggest people that you study Randy Gage, study David Nagel, study Bob Brock, study the people who are writing, speaking, teaching on prosperity yep. because we get the the garbage information oh, the, here's see here remember too that even more so these days because there were so many media outlets trying to get eyeballs because that's what pays the advertising so you put a story so up there right so here's here's a story that doesn't sell corporate ceo treats people wonderfully exactly <laughs> salesperson totally honest and fantastic, loved by customer, right? They workshop that one, you know, I guess it didn't test. No, but, but no, what, that, there's what no does, click-through rate on that one. No, but what does sell? Enron and, uh, and exactly. Tyco and uh, what was the bank where they were cheating their customers? Wells Fargo. Their, Wells Fargo and then Volkswagen, which was yeah. um, uh, the, with the emission, falsifying the yeah. emissions testing and, and so forth. Sure, those happen so rarely that you know uh that compared to people who are you know oh for sure yeah and so but those are the ones that sell and you know there's a a psychological factor and this is just part of human nature that we i think it's called the the recent the recency effect and that is what we hear last and what we hear most we tend to think of as true even though it may not be at all you know but again, you're not going to hear about the honest printer down the street who works, uh, you know, who who uh, invested their own money and worked, uh, you know, 16-hour days to get a business going, and yeah. now it's in the third generation and it's serving tons of people, exactly. and it's, you know, what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't sell. Yeah, that's part of the where I mean, I feel like the genius of the book, The Go Giver, comes in because for me, the reason that I connected so well with it is because every principle 
it's like you said, there are these these universal principles. That it's not like you created the law of value. You just put words to it maybe that were a little bit different. And I think that is what was so valuable to me because these principles were principles that at my core I believe and I live, but I was never maybe able to communicate them in such a way. And so that's why I was so drawn to the book and the principles is because literally I can feel like I can read the book and it's as if it's me talking, but it's not because it does a better job of explaining what I wish I could explain Thank to the you. people. Exactly. Thank you. Um, but one thing in there that it talks about a lot with Joe and with Pindar and Gus, kind of that mentor protege relationship. Right. And I think so many people, I know we have tons of listeners who have said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, have this mentor or that, but it's like, what value can I provide them? You know, if someone came up to you and I mean, Bob, you're, one of the most successful authors you just got inducted into the hall of fame for speed i mean all of these accolades right and it's like what value could i ever provide you so what advice do you have for someone who is maybe in the protege role yeah that they want to find that mentor and as opposed to just feeling like a mooch or a leech you actually can feel like you can provide value and by the way thank you for calling it protege instead of mentee it's actually protege, and I've been on a quest for years, one of my tilting at windmill things, <laughs> to, to, for people to know it's protege, it's mentor and protege, yeah. mentor and mentee. But yeah, what a ridiculous thing to even care about, right? You know, when you think about it, you know. Dude, we don't have any other problems in the world, you know. Just, I'm going to uh, die, I'm just not a mentee. Yeah. So, uh, or a mento. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it's a matter of you have to have Let's put it this way. I don't think any mentor who who you want to have mentor you is thinking that you're going to be able to provide them with any kind of significant concrete value. Yeah. They're going to mentor you because they want to. The law of and abundance. Yeah, and they just – it's something they want to – it makes them happy to do it. You know what I'm saying? That, yeah. It's, it, yeah, they don't feel any threat, first of all. So that's, you know, the law of abundance. But they also, it brings them happiness. It brings them joy. Yeah. You know, by and large, people do what they believe is going to make them happy. And there's yeah. people, uh, not everybody's going to want to be a mentor. Not, not everybody wants to in any way, shape, or form be one. But there's a lot of people who do. Yeah. And so I don't think it's a matter of you have to have something of value other than your gratitude. But here's kind of how I would approach asking and maybe how to not approach because there it be first of all these days you can pretty much approach anyone but i wouldn't just approach someone with whom you don't have a relationship and say hey will you be my mentor yeah okay uh because it's sort of like you know it's that old saying asking for the marriage before asking for the date you know i mean (laughs) you know it's like you're saying to this person hey would you share 40 years of your life experience with me even though you don't know me from all on the wall yeah so i you know i wouldn't i wouldn't do that and it, it, it can it can come across as entitled even if that's not how you mean it I think most people would ask that because they don't know a better way, and that's fine. It's until you know, you don't know. Yeah. But here's what I would do: I would suggest someone who you respect enough that you would want to have that kind of relationship. I would say, first, um, just ask, and and you know, and you, you let them know that you know I know you're very busy. If this wouldn't be appropriate, or just simply not something you want to do, please, that's totally fine. But I'm wondering if you, wondering if I might ask one or two very specific questions like that 
So what you've done is, first of all, you've given the person an out or back door, which mm -hmm. is respectful. Okay, yep. You've let them know you don't just expect, you're not entitled to this. You realize it's a big ask and it's a big thing. And you're not just saying, you know, I want to pick your brain or I want to, you know, just talk to you about general stuff. I've got one or two questions. And most people, again, not all, but it doesn't have to be all. But some are going to say, sure, absolutely, that's fine. Well, you know, what do you have in mind? Or, you know, and so you ask those questions. Now, you want to make sure to research this person, you know, which you can find out information about this person online. Right. Make sure you don't ask anything that you could have found the answer to by, you know, doing your, your research. Um, and then what I would also do is, you know, at the end of the conversation, um, I would, first of all, you know, thank them, let them know how much you value their wisdom and that you look forward to applying it right away and that you will, you know, keep in touch and uh, let them know. Then what I would do is that very day, I would write a handwritten, personalized note of thanks. Just a short one, doesn't have to be anything long, but just thanking them for their time and their expertise and their counsel. Again, I look forward to applying it right away. You know, I will keep in touch if that's okay and just let you know how things are going. Again, I can't thank you enough. Best regards, handwritten. you know, you name. And then handwrite the envelope, put a regular hand stamp or a commemorative stamp, not a meter machine stamp, and send it. I now, would also, oh, now, excuse I, me. I just wanna ask, because some people might gloss over that. Why do you think it's so important for the handwritten to write that, I mean, you even made sure to put, talk about writing on the envelope a personal stamp because I think those details might be lost on some. How come you're making sure to talk about that? Uh, because it's the ultimate way of saying that that I appreciate you and that I took time to do that. It's not a text. It's not an email. Which yeah. Is, you know, okay. Yeah. But it doesn't really make a statement. Yeah. And they see you as someone who, wow, okay, I'm, I'm happy to help this kind of person who yeah. I know is going to. Now, I would also, and again, you can get this information right off the person's website, uh, or you can ask their admin or, or whatever, but find out what this person's favorite charitable cause is, okay? And then make a, it doesn't have to be anything big, but a s small donation in their name. Uh, it'll get back to them, and you're not doing it to kiss up or anything. You're doing it because you just want them to know. But again, while you obviously aren't in a position, you know, where you can... Uh, that you respect the process right. and you appreciate them and you want to in some way be able to bring value yeah. to them. I love that. I have to say, my mom's talked about it, but you definitely live everything you talk about because even on social media where there is a really negative reputation about what social media can do for people and the relationships that you build, a lot of people talk about the fakeness of it, but there are real true authentic relationships there. And I think what I've been most impressed about, I mean, the reason we're sitting here is because you answered something on Twitter for me. But what I love is how genuine you are and grateful, and you do, you respond yourself to everything on social media. How do you find time to do that? Um, it, it can be tough, yeah. but it's, it's congruent with my values. I just believe it's important, Yeah. you know? And so I just, I think it's so great that even at your position, as busy as you are and the success that you've had, you still take time to respond to people that you have never met before. And I think that means a lot to people. Um, Absolutely. But Bob, I want to respect your time. We've hit our time limit and I'm just so grateful that you're willing <laughs> to, to take some time today because this literally has been like, we talk about kind of bucket list. Number one For sure. guest that I wanted to have when I started this was you because your book has impacted me more than any book outside of scripture. 
And wow. so I'm super grateful for you. I'm excited that we have all the different books in the series and I've read them all. So right now, just I want to give you time. What should where, what should people be looking for from you? I mean, you do have the other books in the series. Are you working on more or like where do you go from here? I know you kind of are starting to scale back the speaking. Where are you going from here? Uh, we have a few other things. My my business partner Kathy Tajanell and I, and, and she's brilliant. I mean, she makes us the whole company run a lot. She really frees me up to do my couple of things that I'm competent at yeah. you know what I'm saying and she does the rest <laughs> yeah and so we're um, we have a couple things one is we have a certified go-giver speaker program where we have people from all over the world that that um, license my materials basically is okay it comes down to and we show them how to have a speaking career you know professional speaking career and they they typically utilize the go-giver endless referrals uh, genuine influence uh, you know materials along with their own expertise um, we also have a series of programs called the, um, uh, well, we're starting that, but we had the the, uh, the Go-Giver Entrepreneurs Academy, which we run a few times a year in Orlando, and now we're just starting the Endless Referrals, the Go-Giver Way two-day workshop okay. we'll be having both in Orlando and in South Florida, having those a few times a year. Are those going to be different, the Go-Giver Entrepreneur and the Endless Referral, yeah, the Go-Giver the, the, Way? The, yeah, the, the Go-Giver Entrepreneur one is a, it's a two-and-a-half-day workshop where we limit it to just 10 people, and we go very, very deep into everyone's business business individually um, and there it tends to be there's it tends to be all very successful people from generally different fields so aside from the go-giver stuff in there there's a whole lot of masterminding on a very high level that goes the endless referrals the go-giver way will be a little bit different it will be a two-day event uh, it will be limited to 50 but it won't be as uh, you know we'll be having exercises that people will be doing to clarify some of the things they're doing and will yes absolutely be working with them on how they can based on their business position but it's a little bit more generic you okay. know and that it's the basic principles a little more and then people's how they, yeah so that that we can handle 50 with no no issue whatsoever and we'll okay. have a couple of our certified speakers and coaches there to help cool and and that and then the other thing is we're probably in January coming out with a um, Endless Referrals, the Go Giveaway online course. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're very excited. We're in post production right great. now. That's awesome. I'm really, that is. those are some great things. I'd love to be involved. I'm going to be down there one day with your <laughs> entrepreneur Go Giver cool. course. I'm going to make it there one day. We'd love it. Um, but yeah, Bob, thanks for your time today. This was Thank you. awesome. Oh, my so was everyone who's awesome. listening, Go get the go-giver, live the principles. They will literally change your life if you implement them. Everybody have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.